When it comes to hiring, don't go searching for the one. Just meet your match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, EJ, another day, another stupidly, crazily, unbelievably overpowered AFC West team to talk about today. Uh, We liked the Raiders last year. We thought they had a lot of talent. We thought they were a good team. Obviously, they made the playoffs. This year's Raiders team, I think, will blow them out of the water because they just got stronger in almost every single way. And uh, considering everything they went through last year to still make the playoffs with we hope all of that now behind them and oh yeah by the way they just injected themselves with a whole bunch of superstars i know we talked about the rest of the afc west all being contenders and they are but the raiders they've already proved that they can do it they've already proved that they can get to january when to be honest they had no right to and now they're better if anybody should be first in line to dethrone the Chiefs in this division and win this whole damn thing and make a run. I think the Raiders are the one that maybe we should give a lot of consideration to because they already showed they can do it. Yes. (laughs) In in short, yes. This is a ridiculous division. This is the giant monster division of the NFL this year. Everybody got on board and pitched in and usually one team in the division kind of throws out the anchor and goes wait 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 we don't want to go to salary cap hell you you guys have fun at the top we'll we'll put together a competitive product but we're not going to do that and this was like four teams sitting around a poker table just looking at each other and first guy shoves in like a huge pile of chips (laughs) next player's like yeah and (laughs) next player's like yeah, no, I'm in. Raise. <laughs> and the fourth one's there, and they're all like, hey, you you must be the odd player out. You're not going to. And they're just like, nope. <laughs> Here you go. Here's everything. So the Raiders, yeah, they've had a coaching change. Rich Passaccia did an amazing job holding them together down the stretch last year. Many of the players, I think, played kind of out of their minds down the stretch. I'm thinking particularly of Max Crosby. And – They took that base and liberally sprinkled in extra talent for this year. I think you underrate them at your own peril. I mean, I think I kind of learned that lesson last year where I thought they were dead in the water. You know, halfway through the year, their coach was fired. Um, They were just freshly going through the Arnett stuff and the the Henry Rugg situation. uh, There was no reason to believe that this team was was going to be a playoff contender. We liked them. We thought they had talent, but we're like, this is too much to overcome in the middle of a season. They can't do it. And then they did it. 
and Derek Carr played out of his mind. Rich Passaccia kept the room together, and you know Max Crosby had a ridiculous year, and you know the offensive line all of a sudden gelled in the back half of the year. The run game got going, even though they were still banged up, and even though they had all the stuff going on in their building, they still pulled through. They still made the playoffs in a very competitive AFC. Like I'm dumb doubting them. You know, obviously they didn't go all the way, but like they still gave the Bengals a game and they still made it like they knocked the Chargers out in the last week when, you know, going into that game, like everybody kind of assumed that because of Justin Herbert, the Chargers were just going to win that game and waltz into the playoffs. And we were going to get that. uh, I think it was Chiefs versus Chargers, I think, was was the projected matchup if the Chargers won that game and everybody was looking forward to that. And then all of a sudden the Raiders were like, yeah, no, fuck you. We win, you lose. We're going to the playoffs. So yeah, I'm I'm done doubting the Raiders. I I really am. I I have taken so many L's over the years from leaving them for dead, and then they just crawl right back up on the ship. Uh, so I I think I think they're one of the more fun stories in the NFL because of that because they just won't die ever. <laughs> um, speaking of 2021, by the way, to give a little overview of what happened last year again. Finished ten and seven, same record as the Bengals, by the way, who went to the Super Bowl. So these teams were not very far off from one another. Again, they did play in the playoffs. The Raiders did give them a game, but ultimately, you know, Joe Burrow's Joe Burrow. But looking at the season results, I would say if there wasn't so much turmoil in the Raiders' building, and if everything that happened to them had not happened, like the Raiders might have ended up with a better record than the Bengals anyway. Like They would have legitimately had an argument to be the better team last year. It's just because of what happened in January, there's this perception that the Bengals are a Tier 1 AFC team, which they are, and that the Raiders are not. And I personally don't think that's accurate. Like, I... I would say the Raiders could play with anybody. So they finished 10 and seven, same record as Cincinnati. There's just different perception there. Second in the division, obviously five and four at home, five and three on the road. Solid, solid, solid. Finished really strong four and one in the last five weeks. Again, you know, making that strong push, knocking the chargers out, all that good stuff. I I truly do think that we are now in a new era of Raiders football where it's not, you know, start hot tail off, which it was like that way for a long time. Start hot, tail off. Now it's start hot, tail off, get your shit together, finish strong, which is kind of what you want. Like if you, if you drop and slip a few games in the middle of the season, yeah, that's going to happen sometimes. But if you start strong to give yourself kind of pole position in the division and you finish strong and close things out and make the playoffs, that means you're a good team. And so for me, I think that qualifies the Raiders officially as a top-tier AFC team to me. Don't disagree on the top-tier ranking because they have, you said, proved it. And it's not just about playoffs to me. It's about giving other top teams in the AFC all the game they can handle. And over the last couple of seasons, we've seen the Raiders take the Chiefs to the limit. We've seen them take the Bengals to the limit. We've seen them beat the Chargers at you know in the final week to in a pressure-packed game that they easily could have folded in. And I would say the old Raiders would have folded in just following history of that super strong start that they've had for you know I would say three of the previous five years where they really looked good in the first half of the season and then really didn't in the second half of the season. 
we've seen them play with anybody. And mm -hmm. that's anybody, anybody, right up to the top of the, the AFC, which we believe is the most powerful conference going in right now. So they need to get their consistency together. They've added firepower on both sides of the ball. This is just a team that knows how to do it and has to do it just a little bit more. Like, not, it used to be like, well, first half's great. If you could just, you know, everybody said, if you could just hold that together for a whole year, but that was always the problem. Now it's not that, it's just a couple of games. We're down to that very, very fine margin that the NFL runs on, and you got to tip a couple of those your way. And if you do that, you're going to be there and ready to play late in the season and, you know, roll the dice and see what happens. Uh, let's go to the power structure of B, the new power structure, I should mm. say, because they did completely clean house. Uh, by the way, little aside, love Rich Passaccia. Love mm. that he landed on his feet. He definitely earned it. I thought he absolutely deserved consideration to be the next head coach because of the admirable job he did, excuse me, as the interim but I totally understand why they why they brought in Josh McDaniels to be the new head coach because Josh McDaniels has been known for a very long time as one of the better offensive coaches in the entire league. You know, was the architect of some extraordinary offenses in New England, both in his first stop there and in, in his second stop too. So I get, you know, trying to maximize David Carr by having a notoriously great game planner like Josh McDaniels there. I get that. As for the concerns about McDaniels as a head coach, um, he was young when he when he got the the first job with Denver. I think he learned a lot of lessons from that, and so I think everything that we're saying about Todd Bowles of okay, Todd Bowles deserved another shot, and we should really see what he can do second time around. He learned some lessons. Quarterback situation wasn't set up for him. I would echo that same sentiment for Josh McDaniels. You know, it's like I think. If you're a great coordinator and then you get hired and shit goes south and then you continue to be a great coordinator, you can still get another chance. So I think he, he earned another chance. Um, obviously, I'm not a super big fan of what happened with the Indianapolis situation, but it is what it is. Indy still ended up with Frank Reich. They ended up okay. And Josh McDaniels, you know, got another couple good years in New England out of it. So overall, nobody really lost there. Josh McDaniels did end up getting a great opportunity in Vegas with a top tier quarterback. So he doesn't have to deal with that problem this time around like he did in Denver. And I think that uh, he is set up to be more successful this time around than he was the first time for sure. Dave Ziegler also in year one as GM, uh, not a hundred percent sure what to make of him as GM yet, but just judging off the few things that we've gotten to see, like, you know, pulling off a trade for Devonte Adams and some of the free agency signings, I like that he realizes there's an opportunity here, even in a competitive AFC. You, again, you have a really good quarterback. You have an owner that's willing to spend now because they made an absolutely ridiculous amount of money last year. Uh, I think they were second in attendance. They made like $400 million or something like that in attendance. So there's, there's a lot more money to put into escrow accounts these days compared to the old Raiders, and they're taking advantage of that. They're being aggressive with their money. Love that approach. Uh, at coordinator... Mick Lombardi, Michael Lombardi's son, not related to Vince and Joe Lombardi. There's two football Lombardi families. He's in the other one. Uh, year one at offensive coordinator. Patrick Graham 
in year one at defensive coordinator. And Patrick Graham is one of the best defensive coordinators in the league, by the way. Just ask Raiders fans. He he uh, he was the architect of their, I don't want to call it embarrassing, but poorly timed loss to the Giants in the middle of last year. We talked about that middle of the season slope. Well, you can thank Patrick Graham for that. His defense his defense really gave Derek Carr a lot of problems. So I think they they saw him and were like, well, he's uh, he's available. The Giants, for some reason, let him go do interviews. Let's see if we can poach him so he can stop hurting us. Brought him into the fold. I think he's a better defensive coordinator than, than even Gus Bradley. So upgrade there. Tom McMahon, year one at special teams coach, former special teams coach for the Broncos, if I remember correctly. So year one, uh, all across the board, but it doesn't mean they're inexperienced. It just means that they have uh, a new group trying to gel here in Vegas, and I think it'll work out. There's every indication that it should. Uh, the Mick Lombardi thing was fascinating to me because we're on our you know, second team in the AFC West in two days with an offensive coordinator named Lombardi, and they're not related, which is the instant knee-jerk when you're going through the NFL and you see the same last name, you're like, oh, they got to be brothers cousins you know father and son whatever nope not related different you know still another nfl family the michael michael lombardi is from the new england tree so not surprising that mick would end up in vegas alongside josh mcdaniels but yeah the joe lombardi vince lombardi connection nope different family tree so uh for once it's not the same family but overall patrick graham was the one when they hired him and i was like Okay, <laughs> now we're talking. That's legit because he's got a lot of building blocks to play with. He's got some really talented defensive playmakers, not limited to Max Crosby, but you have to start the conversation there. He's going to wreak some havoc on all of these high-powered offenses all over the AFC West, and it's going to be a ton of fun to watch. He's a great coach, great coordinator, and has a lot of tools in Las Vegas. Not maybe all the ones he needs. We'll talk about that as we get down through the roster, but he's got plenty of talent to really make a mess of some of those fun, high-powered offenses that they're going to see, you know, week in and week out. In terms of notable coaches, all the all the notable assistants under that top layer, we joked, uh, it was either yesterday or Monday, I can't remember, uh, about how you could kind of play six degrees to Josh McDaniels in the league these <laughs> days because everybody's connected to everybody. Uh, I'm two connections away from Josh McDaniels, apparently, because one of the assistant coaches for the Raiders not only has Hall of Famers in his own family and also Raiders players in his own family, yep. also is a modern-day alumni, my old high school. So uh, I think I'm two connections away from Josh now. Beat that, EJ. I cannot, and I can't touch the coach we're going to talk about. Might be one of the most multiply connected coaches in the entire league. We'll get to that in a second. We'll start off on offense with Edgar Bennett, is the wide receivers coach. Now, 30 years of NFL experience between pl uh, playing, player development, which was the role he held in Green Bay, and then he went into coaching. He's entering his fifth year with the Raiders, this year as the wide receiver coach, he is a former NFL running back with the Packers and Bears, which makes him, you know, unique and interesting that he played for both sides of the rivalry and also that he was a running back that's now coaching wide receivers. So Edgar Bennett, Cameron Clemens is the assistant offensive line coach. He is a former NFL and CFL defensive end. 
The coach we were talking about, the aforementioned modern-day alumni, Kennedy Polamalu, running back coach. 31 seasons of coaching experience, as we mentioned, went to your high school. He himself played at USC. He's Troy's uncle. His brother, A.O., played at Penn State. His nephew, Nikki Sulua, played at Ohio State. And his great-nephew, Isaiah Polamalu, signed with the Raiders this year as a UDFA. <laughs> so football family <laughs> yeah like as multiply connected as anybody out there and then this one's fun because we made a joke about this yesterday as well jerry shaplinski the senior offensive assistant 10 seasons as an nfl assistant with the pats dolphins and giants get this was the collegiate teammate of raiders gm dave ziegler at john carroll university which you mentioned yesterday uh with the chargers so you just can't get away from all these webs of interconnectivity in the nfl and apparently you just really need to go to john carroll university if you want to eventually end up on an nfl staff oh there's john carroll connections i, I would bet to at least 50 to 60 percent of the league it's like, ridiculous. People talk about, oh, North dakota states like the the under the radar everybody's tied to north dakota state like there, there are either people who played at John Carroll, coached at John Carroll, you know, recruited at John Carroll. Like it's, it's actually kind of hilarious. It, Brandon Staley is not the only one, but nope, nope, not by. There far. could be a whole documentary done on the the John Carroll cabal. Same thing of um, what is it the the New Hampshire mafia? That, yeah, that little that little side coaching tree with like Chip Kelly and all of them, like John Carroll, Loki their own little mafia <laughs> yeah in miami of ohio the cradle of coaches there's some really sort of smaller schools that have huge impacts or huge footprints in the nfl landscape john carroll's one of them on the defensive and special team side got to start off with rob ryan he is a senior defensive assistant for this team 32 years of coaching experience overall 21 in the nfl has been a dc for four different teams the raiders the browns the cowboys and the saints he's the son obviously of longtime nfl coach buddy ryan and brother of former jets head coach rex ryan antonio pierce linebacker lots of giants fans will recognize that name he's a former udfa always got to point that out when the udfas have great success in the league became a pro bowl player spent four years with washington and four years with the giants now coaching linebackers for the Raiders. Jason Simmons, defensive backs and pass game coordinator, 11 years of NFL coaching experience, 10 years as an NFL player as a linebacker with both the Steelers and the Texans. Did you know that Josh McDaniels went to John Carroll too? Yes. I just looked it up. Yes. Also, and also, tangent, sorry. I've been talking <laughs> to, to one of the Chargers uh, comms people over oh, the last yeah, week. The be, yeah, yeah, yeah. Danny Marquino, John yeah. Carroll. <laughs> I swear to God. This is the next, you know, yarn on the the pincushion board. Oh, Dave Caldwell, episode. Nick Casario, uh, God, Jalen Myrick, Greg Roman, Tom Telesco. How deep does this go, EJ? It John is, Carroll runs the world. This is the deep dark. <laughs> this is the Illuminati. They're all at John Carroll. Uh, last notable defense or special teams coach for the Raiders, Frank Ocam, the defensive line coach, former NFL defensive tackle with the Texans, Hawks, Bucks, and Giants. He was a two-time all Big 12 team selection while he was at Texas. So, again, mix of a lot of NFL experience, both sides of the ball, very connected staff in terms of who they're related to, who they've coached under, where they came from. So, 
like you said, while, you know, you may look at that graphic and I'll say, oh, year one, year one, year one, it's an inexperienced staff, you would be wrong. It is a very experienced staff that has come together in Las Vegas to try and take a very talented team to the next level. One more thing, by the way, because I know we're, we're emphasizing a lot of the Patriots connections here, not just the John Carroll connections. Um, Antonio Pierce, who you mentioned on their defensive staff, uh, Jack Jones was a rookie that just got drafted the Patriots and Antonio Pierce was the one who recruited there, recruited him there and got him out of LA. And, uh, from what I understand, Antonio Pierce was one of the guys who was heavily advocating for him to the Patriots and was a big reason why they drafted him in the first place. So everybody That's... knows everybody. <laughs> just you wait until we get down to, oh, I don't know, a UDFA linebacker who's on the Raiders this year, and he was a college teammate of... Who? Jack Jones. Oh, God. Yep. Th this whole podcast <laughs> is going to turn into a fucking conspiracy show. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Those are pretty highly rated on YouTube. <laughs> Maybe we should dip our toe in the water. One thing really quick, today's episode is sponsored by Upside. For every purchase you make on gas, groceries, or even dining out, all of which are obviously incredibly expensive these days, Upside will help you earn cash back on those purchases. In particular for me, I go all the way from the ass end of Orange County out to LA at least once a week, and I'm about to be driving even more than that soon because of all the travel to training camps and games that I'm doing. So the cash back on gas in particular is very valuable to me, just like I'm sure it would be valuable to a lot of you as well. On the app, all you have to do is claim an offer for whatever you're buying on Upside, check in at the business, pay as you normally do with your credit or debit card, and then you get cash back. It's very easy to do, so if you want to try out Upside for yourself just to make your purchases hurt as little as humanly possible these days, you can use promo code BOOTLEG and get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. Again, that is promo code BOOTLEG for $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of at least $10. Thank you again to Upside for sponsoring today's show, and with that, let's get back to it. Uh, all right, free agency losses and... I don't even want to use the term losses. This was a calling. This was a new regime coming in, trimming as much fat as they possibly could because they knew they wanted to spend big. And they did that. Uh, you know, KJ Wright, Richie Incognito, Deshaun Jackson, Gerald McCoy, Desmond Trufant, all, all of these guys were allowed to walk. Uh, they weren't going to invest any money with them to bring them back because they really wanted to save money for their core of, you know, kind of superstar players that all had to get paid. Yannick... They did trade away to Indy because, uh, from what I understand, Gus Bradley has a, a clause in his contract that says <laughs> that he's not allowed to coach unless Yannick Ngakwe is on the team, so they traded him in Indy. Um, got back Rocky Sin, who apparently they really, really, really like at corner, so we'll see how that works out. Uh, Brandon Faison also went to Indy, by the way. Uh, Casey Hayward is now in Atlanta. Brian Edwards is now in Atlanta. Marcus Mariota is now in Atlanta. <laughs> Nick Kwiatkowski is now in Atlanta. Uh, the Falcons absolutely poached whatever the castoffs they could get from the Raiders this year. Edwards was traded, by the way, I think for like a fifth? Yeah. Something like that. I think he and Amari went for like the same yeah. compensation. Yeah. I just get a little angry about that because small side tangent on Brian Edwards. I think he is... For his role, an underrated receiver, he's young, he's cheap, uh, both in terms of the draft compensation and what he's making. He's actually cheap on the roster as well because of where he was drafted. And 
uh, yeah, the team I root for was really needy at receiver and and didn't make a play on him. And I was like, I think you could find a role for Brian Edwards on the Bears. So I was, you know, yeah. good for him for going to Atlanta. I think he now uh, becomes part of that Tower of Power receiving core that's all like six two, six three, six four. I think uh, Brian Edwards is the short one. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a scary thought because he's not short. So, uh, you know, happy to happy to see him get a new chance. Uh, felt like he probably should have done a little bit more with the Raiders. Just didn't work out, but was upset that uh, more teams didn't look at him and say, wow, this is an asset we could go get for, you know, what is a value right now, low ebb of value, and, and they didn't, so. Now, in terms of how they did spend their money, because, again, they let, what is this, like 30 guys go? <laughs> it's in, one of the longest ways. lists we've seen. It's it's as long as your arm. Definitely a roster makeover. They, they, they definitely wanted to trim the fat here. But in terms of how they spent their money, most of it, keyword most, went to retaining Derek Carr at a little over $40 million a year, uh, Max Crosby at about $23.5 million a year, which is still, I, I know it's a lot of money, Still a good value for Max Crosby. He is tremendously productive. One of the best players, not just on this team, not even just in the division, but one of the best players in the NFL. He is a tier one edge rusher. Earned every penny of that extension. Uh, and then Hunter Renfro at just under $16 million a year, which considering the current wide receiver market, to have a slot weapon that also happens to be a dominant red zone weapon, and this is an aspect that people don't consider. When people think of red zone weapons, they think of Alshon Jeffrey, the, you know, the 6'3", 215-pound receiver, because everybody, for whatever reason in their head, the only play they can think of in the red zone is a it's goal a fade. line fade. Yep. <laughs> it's like, no, people do more than that. If you're in that kind, not, not necessarily low red zone, you want a little bit more space, but if you're from like the 8 to about the 16, Hunter Renfro murders people in the red zone because that gives him just enough uh, just enough space that when you're inevitably going to be calling man coverage there in that general area, low red zone, not as much because people get really worried about getting rubbed off. If you're in that area of the red zone and you're calling man coverage, the ball's going to Hunter Renfro because he's going to separate and he's going to win. And I think that for what he gives you, not just as a down-in, down-out chain mover, but also somebody who can put the ball in the paint. A little under $16 million is not enough money, in my opinion. He kind of gave them a little bit of a break there. You know and why he's only it's not, 27. You know huh? why it's not enough? Why? Have you heard the nickname? For Hunter Renfro? No. It's Elite. What is it? I, they should have paid $2 million more a year for the nickname, at least. The huh. slot machine. Oh, that's so perfect for Vegas. I'm telling you, right? How do you oh. get a player that talented? And I agree that he is wildly talented and underrated. N with not the nickname? first player to use that, by the way. No. But, but definitely the most fitting. <laughs> right. So I think the Raiders got off easy. Should have been 18 with that kind of a nickname. I do. If Christian Kirk's getting $18 million, I mean, come on now. Don't start with me. Just saying. Don't compare Christian Kirk and Hunter Renfro. Just saying. Um, uh, but yeah, they, they spent a shitload of money on retentions, as they should. They wanted to keep their core of stars together, trim the fat from the roster, because quite frankly, everybody that they let go, at least most people they let go, Yannick's not easy to replace, but everybody else, 
you can replace them. And they're going to. Um, now, in terms of third-party additions, Chandler Jones at $17 million was big because they were going to have to find a way to offset trading away Yannick to get back a corner. I get that. Chandler Jones can come in this year and combine with Max Crosby to be a very, very, very good pass rush duo. Bilal Nichols, $5.5 million, was definitely appropriate, I think, for what he gives you as a rotational interior player. Is he ever going to be a dominant starter? Probably not. But for a interior guy that I think can either do... I don't necessarily want him playing further outside than a three, and I also don't necessarily want him playing nose either. But for somebody that, <laughs> in the general vicinity of a guard, two eye out to three, where his one job is just go beat the guard and only beat the guard and get upfield, I think he can absolutely do that. Um, Kenny Young is an underrated linebacker, in my opinion. Getting him for like 1.2 for somebody who, as a spot starter in a pinch, you can absolutely make that work. All about that deal there. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, because they are completely remaking their receiving core this year. I'm pretty sure the only one they kept was Hunter Renfro, if I recall correctly. So they brought in uh, Demarcus Robinson to be either a three or a four for them, I would imagine. Um, Keelan Cole, again, competing for something like a, a wide receiver four type role for them. Rocky Sin, as I mentioned, was brought over to be a starting corner in exchange for Yannick Ngakwe. He's definitely, I think, turned his career around from his early years in Indy. Much better player now than he was when he first got in the league, for sure. Deron Harmon, the ageless wonder Deron Harmon, still going after 10 years in the league. Is, is he as rangy as he used to be? Definitely not, but he's still definitely effective. Really smart player, really tough. Is going to get by more these days on smarts and putting himself in the right spot rather than just being fast enough to get there on natural ability. But typically those smart veteran safeties uh, tend to play a long time. And Josh McDaniels knows him well from his time in New England as well. Now, let's talk about the Devontae Adams trade. Kind of saved that one for last for a reason. Before that trade was made, I was quite iffy on the Raiders this year because this was after the Russell Wilson trade. This was after the Khalil Mack trade, if I recall correctly. The Chiefs are obviously still the Chiefs. I was not feeling very confident about the Raiders' ability to make the playoffs in this division because we like Derek Carr a lot. You know, We like the defensive line. We liked a lot of their pieces, but it almost felt a little bit like bringing a cleaver to a gunfight. And they just, I, I felt like they were almost there, but not quite. Because, again, Waller and, Renf, Waller and Renfro, excuse me, is great. But can I put that up against, you know, everything the Chiefs can bring to bear? And can I put that up against Russ and Sutton and Judy and Patrick and, you know, Alberto and, and all that? Can I feel confident getting into shootout after shootout after shootout in this division with just those guys as my primary weapons? For me, the answer was no. And then the Devontae trade happened. And I was like, oh, shit. It's on. Now, they're showing up to a gunfight with a fucking RPG. <laughs> now, they are the one who knocks. They are the ones that I think other teams are going to have to compete and keep up with them. Because now, you've got the best receiver in the league. I will hear no arguments to the contrary. You have, inarguably one of the three most dangerous receiving tight ends in the league when he is healthy and Darren Waller. You have one of the best slot receivers in the league, who, as I mentioned, is also a red zone weapon in himself. 
you have a run game that when everybody's healthy and gelled is pretty effective in terms of just beating people up. And you have a top 10, absolute minimum top 12 quarterback in Derek Carr. That might actually be the most complete offense in the league, or in the division, I should say. I mean, in the league, there's an argument. But in the division itself, it went from good, but maybe not quite enough, to, oh my God, how is anybody going to keep up with this? And I'll take the L on that. I, I was lower on the Raiders than I should have been. But once that trade happened, I saw the vision, I saw the aggression, and I was like, okay, shit, they're going for it. Fine, I can ride with this. And I love that that they are <laughs> they they have a stronger will than me in the fact that they didn't back down, they doubled down, and they went for it, and they made the move at any cost. They paid any amount of picks, any amount of money to Devontae to get him, because they're not scared of the rest of the division. They're not scared of Russ, they're not scared of Herbert, they're not scared of Pat. They're like, We we got our guys, we think they're better than your guys. Let's throw down and find out. And I, I love that mentality. I think it's, uh, to be honest, one of the most on-brand things for the Raiders that I've seen in a long time, of just staring the rest of this monster division in the face and saying, fuck you, we're the Raiders. You have to beat us. We don't have to beat you. I love that for them. And Devontae was that piece, was the piece that tipped the table. And we talked about it with the Packers in the negative. What does removing Devontae mean from their equation and their dominance? And, and how will that drop them down? And we mentioned that that's pretty rare, that one receiver typically does not influence the balance of power that way. Well, his addition to the Raiders does the same thing in positive that it did in negative to the Packers. It brings the best receiver, someone's a matchup nightmare at all levels of the field, and is going to demand either your best cover corner if you have a great one or a cover corner and a half if you expect to not have him take over the game it's his college quarterback his best friend like they're not starting from zero with just oh we imported a great receiver and now we got to see how the chemistry works they already have that Mm -hmm. you add it to the rest of that lineup and it did it tilted the table to oh no they're all in shit (laughs) like everybody in the division is just like throwing gas on the fire like yeah you want to see how high i can go cool so do we here's our gas oh well we got more gas we're gonna get Devontae adams and chandler jones like two of the top players across the nfl and you know respective offenses and defenses yeah we're gonna add them to an already talented roster we're gonna put jones across from max crosby what are you gonna do we're going to add Devontae Adams to Waller and Renfro and David Carr and, like you said, a run game that is very powerful, and we'll talk about that a little bit and, and how McDaniels and his staff opted for power uh, in the run game. They already they already thought they had their sprinters. They went for bangers, and it's, it's obvious how they're going to come after you. They're going to play physical football in the run game. Raiders fans are going to love that too. But in the modern NFL, you need to be able to throw the ball. You need to be able to pass. You need to be able to strike quickly. You need to be able to answer quickly. You need to be able to put up a lot of points. Devontae Adams brings points by himself. Oh, easily. And also, again, we're talking about red zone weapons. You ain't leaving Devontae one-on-one in the red zone. Oh, you might once. (laughs) (laughs) Once? Yeah, You're going to learn real quick, like, oh, you shouldn't do that. But you're also very hesitant to leave Renfro one-on-one in the red zone. And then, oh, by the way, Waller's there too. 
Yeah. Like once they get inside the 20, like I don't know what you're going to do. Okay, now's the time. I have to throw this in here because we're going to talk about this wildly talented team and this wildly talented offense, and there's no other place to mention it, so I'm just going to mention it here. Mac Go Hollins. That's right. They brought him, too, Dude. for what, like less than a million, right? No, crazy. No, like two Mac million. Hollins, one of Trubisky's receivers at UNC. It's the first place I saw him, fell in love with him, thought, man, that guy is, is a great football player. Reminds me a little bit of Robert Woods in that way, that he's not just – it's not that he's just a receiver. He's a great football player. He's a very strong special teamer. He's a good receiver who's gotten better. I've been playing for the Eagles for a while. Like, Mac Hollins. Do not sleep on Mac Hollins because defenses are going to tear their hair out and bang their head on the table trying to stop Waller and Renfro and Devontae Adams. And Mac Hollins is going to get a few touchdowns this year because nobody's going to – they're going to be like, look, we feel safe leaving Mac Hollins alone, and that – is not going to pay off well for them. Mac Collins can convert those chances. So I had to throw in my Mac Collins plug, and there it is. I just, man, I can't wait to watch this team play, and especially watch them play in Vegas. Like, a lot of people don't realize this. They were the number one team last year in the league in ticket revenue. Yeah. That place was packed every single game. And I know that they're a team that just moved, but they don't, they don't really have to quote-unquote build a fan base in Vegas they are building a fan base in Vegas but they don't have to really try to build from the ground up because all the Raiders fans in Southern California and I live in Southern California I've lived here my entire life it's easier to get to Vegas than it is to get to the Bay especially East Bay so there's more Raiders fans going to games now than ever before not to mention the stadium is ridiculous and why wouldn't you want to go to Vegas for a weekend for a Raider game? Like That's the thing is they don't need to build a fan base. They import it. And they exactly. import everybody else's fan base too. So uh, this was a thing even last year. We ended up going to week one. Uh, but when opposing fans are looking at games to travel to, especially if they live in northern climates. You go like, to Vegas. Yeah. Hey, Raiders are on the schedule. We're going to Vegas. It's easy to get there. We know we're going to get a room. We know we're going to have a good time. The weather's going to be awesome. Like, if we're playing the Raiders, that's the away game we're going to. So that's why they sold out. And I just, I'm, I'm happy that a team this talented is going to get to play against or get to play in front of a fan base this passionate that is selling out every single week and being extremely loud like that building is deafening yeah like when they get going on third down it is deafening and i one of my favorite stadium experiences ever and uh, i can't wait to go back this year i'm trying to go to uh i think it's week 13 chargers raiders in vegas that's one i'm trying to trying to get myself to so EJ, if you're free, <laughs> you uh, we'll me. see. It's really <laughs> tempting. I bought this shirt in Vegas when we went to week one and tremendous experience. We put a video together about that. It's it's on the channel. And um, yeah, uh, if you get the chance and you really want a great modern stadium experience and your team happens to play the Raiders, go do it. I know it can be expensive. I know it's hard to arrange time for travel. Like, make it happen. It's very memorable. It's an amazing stadium. We got to go back there. Uh, Shrine Bowl was there. It's going to be there again this year. So we ended up hanging out in Allegiant quite a bit last year. And mm-hmm. it is it lives up to everything. When we were there with Shrine Bowl, we got to see a little bit more behind the scenes. We got to 
walk in through the entrance where all the TV crews and everything park the buses and show up. We got to see the the under stadium club where all the sort of VIP uh, season ticket holders get to hang out. We really got to see the guts and the core of that stadium, and it is it is first class, top to bottom. It it is a great great place to watch a game. Now, moving on to the draft. Obviously, did not have any picks in the first two rounds because of the Devontae trade. They only had one top 100 pick, period. That being said, I felt like they did a pretty good job at trying to replenish a lot of the depth that they just let walk out the door because they're trying to you know, remake the roster in their image. Pretty much everybody they took was a depth piece, and I say depth piece, for now. Some of them will end up being starters at some point. In fact, I'd be willing to bet at least three of them will start at some point. For now, though, they will be depth pieces on a very talented roster. And I think that this was the draft that they needed right now because that that top sliver, that top 22, is awesome. I would put them up against anybody. But because of this roster makeover they're trying to do, the layer under that needed, needed a little bit of work. I felt like this draft class is going to go a long way towards uh, helping to insulate them from injury, I should say. Vegas drafted hammers. Make no mistake about it. They drafted big guys that are going to slug you in the mouth on both sides of the trenches and even in the skill positions. There was a theme with the Raiders draft, and it was we want the heavies. Bring the guys that can hit. So first pick was in round three pick 90 they get dylan parham the guard listed as a guard but he's guard or center for memphis really surprised he was still there at pick 90 i would have thought he would have gone in the top 50 picks maybe it's positional value raiders come away with a steal here i think he'll eventually be the starting center for the raiders don't know when but i will not be at all surprised if that comes to pass very talented player super athletic Again, positional flexibility, wherever he ends up, he's going to be one of their best five sooner rather than later and is going to be on that line, I would imagine, for a long time. Round four, pick 122, they get Zam White, the running back from Georgia. Hammer. Like, Zamir White is a freaking blaster. He is the classic Georgia heavy back. Not slow, but loves contact, uh, not overly nifty, would rather run you over and does so with power again. Round four, pick 126, Neil Farrell Jr., the defensive tackle, nose tackle really from LSU. Uh, I put up a little tweet stream on him when I was scouting him because I said, who loves Neil Farrell, right? You're going to look at his measurables and go, you can't draft that guy. Look at his tape. He takes up a gap and a half all the time by himself, still makes the play. He's going to make sure that about three yards in the middle of the field are his. That's what he does. It's what he did at LSU. It's what he's going to do for the Raiders. That's why you draft a guy like that. Again, a guy that's just going to stand up and punch one or two offensive players in the mouth and say, run around me. You're not going through me. Round five, pick 175. They get Matthew Butler, the defensive tackle from Tennessee. We got to spend some time with Matthew Butler at the Shrine Bowl. Really interesting dude. Like mm-hmm. one of the more fascinating interviews we had there. Uh, it is up on the Bootleg Football Clips channel. Go check it out if you're a Raiders fan. You're probably going to love Matthew Butler. Heavy duty player at Tennessee. Really smart. Also very cerebral in both his approach, his memory of opposing players, players on his team. 
I think they got a steal. It's surprising to me with his skill and his tape that he was still available in round five. Again, big, heavy, strong, thickly built dude um, that is not going to give ground. So you're sensing a theme here. Round seven. (laughs) This might be the best round seven of any team in the NFL. Now, I know other teams had more players, and some some teams had some pretty decent round sevens, but uh, pick 238, they get Thayer Munford, the offensive tackle from Ohio State, who was much more highly ranked going into this year, faded sort of down the stretch. People looked at other offensive tackles in this class who were very, very talented, ended up getting pushed down. Again, would not be at all surprised two, three years down the line to see him playing significant snaps for the Raiders, whether as a starter or a very quality swing tackle. You get that in the seventh round, it's great. And to add to that, pick 250, they had Britton Brown, the running back from UCLA. Hammer, another (laughs) thickly built running back who was a bit overshadowed by Zach Charbonnet, who we love and went back for one more year at UCLA, will probably be one of the top two or three running backs drafted this year he is Mm -hmm. vying for the top spot but when we were talking to kyle phillips the slot receiver from ucla he was talking about the favorite block he threw to spring a long run and we were like oh is that zach and he's like no it was britain you know and he made sure to go out of his way and say no britain's really talented too like britain brown's a great back as well get him in the seventh round out of ucla big solid hammer so if you look at this parham white Farrell, butler munford and brown all big dudes all you know tightly spaced to the line of scrimmage either on offense and defense who are just gonna hammer these are the guys that are going to be running for the most part between the tackles and creating lanes for that and trying to stop that on the other side and that's really where vegas threw all their resources in the draft i think a big thing that it signaled to me because you know we always talk about like oh you don't want to invest a lot of draft assets into running back like they didn't invest high assets but they did draft two running backs in this class that to me says that they might like josh jacobs a lot but that might not be where they're going to allocate their money in the future so this might be josh jacobs either last or second to last year in vegas because i think there's a fifth year option or no they did, i don't think they actually exercised the fifth year option so I think this might actually be Josh Jacobs last year under contract. But either way, the drafting two running backs that are of a similar profile to Josh Jacobs, I think, s- signaled to me that they are going to be the future of the backfield starting in 2023 and 2024. And at least in 2022, if Josh goes down again, because he has had, has had some durability issues in the past, they still got a whole bunch of bangers there that they'll be just fine with. Um, now, Interestingly enough, we just saw Denzel Good retire yesterday, I think it was, from the time of mm-hmm. us recording this. By the way, this comes out like two weeks after we recorded this. So if some of these guys are hurt in between now and the time that this releases at training camp, apologies in advance. Um, but yeah, we have to record these a long time in advance so that our editors can get them done on time because it's a lot of work and we appreciate that and, very much. And not kill us. And not kill us more than they already are. Um, now... There has been a couple retirements on the Raiders' offensive line. Richie Incognito retired, and then Denzel Good, as of yesterday, just retired as well. So that does potentially open the door for Parham to now compete at uh, at really either of the guard spots. Maybe not at center. I think they do like Andre James at center quite a bit, but I think Parham will have a chance to compete for one of these starting guard spots. 
And then at tackle, it'll it'll be either Alex Leatherwood or Brandon Parker. I mean, maybe they would want Leatherwood to be a guard again. He had some success there, but I, I still he's so talented that if you can if you can just refine him to the point where he can play tackle reliably, like he should on paper be a good solid right tackle. So <laughs> again, we are like the first day of camp. I don't even think I've seen a tweet about who who was their starting offensive line in practice, but I, from how I interpret the depth chart, Parker and Leatherwood are competing for right tackle. Obviously, Colton Miller at left tackle. Simpson and Cotton are probably slated to be the starters at guard, but Parham, I think, can compete with either of them and Andre James at center. Not the worst offensive line in the league by any stretch, but they're definitely a lot thinner after these two retirements of Incognito and Good. So uh, Parham will play eventually. I can almost assure you of that. Uh, now, Matthew Butler might have been my favorite pick for them because if you look at their interior uh, interior trio, remember um, um, Patrick Graham runs a lot of, you know, people say 3-4, it's 5-2. We've had this conversation over and over again about, about terminology and what it really is, but he does like to present five-man services in the line of scrimmage with, you know, basically three down linemen that are all defensive tackle sized, even if they're called defensive ends. Right now, the starters are slated to be Bilal Nichols, John Hankins at nose, and then Vernon Butler as the other DT defensive end, whatever you want to label it. I truly do think that Matthew Butler will compete with Bilal Nichols and Vernon Butler for one of those starting jobs. Don't know if he'll win it because they might defer to the vets, but looking at just the talent that Butler has. He's really explosive, really powerful. Like his, He's got dynamite in his hands. He was one of my favorite defensive tackles in this class. From a talent perspective, I think he's got more talent than the two guys that are ahead of him on the depth chart. The question is, does he pick up the defense quick enough? Um, you know, does he understand, you know, the terminology, the calls, you know, can he communicate with whoever's wearing the dot? effectively like he's a really smart guy but obviously they're throwing a lot at him right now as a rookie so can he mentally get to the point where he can communicate with everybody to the level of say a veteran once he's at that point he's going to start for them I just don't know how long it's going to take for him as a rookie to get to that point but I really really love the Matthew Butler pick I think he's going to play for them for a while because he he is not a fifth-round talent. He is a third-round talent that just happened to get picked in the fifth round. And they didn't stop there. Everybody knows that I love a team that goes deep into the UDFA market, and this honestly is one of the best UDFA hauls that we saw in 2022. They end up picking up quite a few players, and a bunch of them are good. I I'm going to run through them all because they can all have a role here. Chase Garber is the quarterback from Cal. A lot of buzz about him as a guy that you could develop that wasn't going to get drafted high, but was probably going to get drafted. Doesn't get drafted. They get him as a UDFA. He does have potential. Don't sleep on Chase Garbers. I've watched his tape. There's something there. If they can find a way to unlock it, even if he's on the practice squad this year, doesn't matter. If he comes in and holds a clipboard for you as a UDFA, it's a huge win. There's something there with Chase Garbers. Sincere McCormick, the running back from UTSA. First time I looked at him, I said, this is a Pete Carroll running back. Like, if he goes anywhere, <laughs> he's going to the Seahawks. And it was originally reported that he was going to sign with the Seahawks. And I was like, ha-ha. 
ends up signing with the Raiders. Hammer between the tackles. He's got a little niftiness to him as well, but this is a guy that's going to run between the tackles. So you're sensing from the Raiders that Josh McDaniels wanted the big guys, that he has Kenyon Drake and Josh Jacobs, and he wanted to go get those those hitters that are going to run between the tackles. Trey Turner, the wide receiver from Virginia Tech, nickname is Big Play Trey, deserves it. He is a tall, lanky, fast wide receiver that played really well in the ACC. Don't know why he didn't get drafted. I would have drafted him easily anytime after about the middle of the fifth just for his potential and what he's already put on tape. Goes to a wide receiver core that is being remade. Is he going to play this year? I doubt it based on the talent they have there. Does he end up making the squad or getting brought back onto the practice squad? Would not be at all shocked. Bam Oleseni, the tackle from Utah. Great interview with him at the Shrine Bowl as well. They, The Raiders were a team that, again, it was held in their home stadium. They leaned very heavily on the Shrine Bowl. Drafted guys, picked up guys in UDFA, a couple of them. Uh, sorry, three, four of them. Five of them? Is that five? Yeah, it's, it's the five uh, from Shrine. Myron, Quinterio, Quinterio. Darian Butler, Myron, Bam, and was Trey there? I can't remember if Trey was I think he. I think he was, yeah. Yeah, it feels like he was. So, and again, drafted Matthew Butler. So, leaned very heavily on the local scouting presence at the Shrine Bowl. Big advantage for them, it being held in their home stadium. Uh, but they weren't shy about that. Bam, incredibly tall. There's a great picture floating around of uh, that I took of Bam standing next to uh, our wonderful co-host, Brett Coleman, here. Uh, <laughs> he dwarfs everybody. Great human being. He's got some work to do, but went to Utah because he said they were going to challenge me. They said, you're not really good right now. Uh, we're going to make you better. Played him all over the line. Played in both tackle spots, guard spot time. Um, still has work to do, but has one of those frames. This is a planet theory pick. Not that many guys walking around the planet that size. You take a chance and go get him. Um, grew up in England. Uh, has Canadian parents. Uh, learned football from a coach in North London uh, and ended up coming over to the United States. Great story. Myron Tagovailoa Omosa. It says internal defensive line. I really think of him as a defensive end from Notre Dame. Underrated as a rotational guy. Was really excited to see them get him. I don't think he's really probably ever going to be a starter, but he's going to be one of those guys that does a lot with the reps that he gets. And there are a lot of those guys that make long careers around the NFL. I think Myron's one of them. Darian Butler, the strange case of Darian Butler. Mm -hmm. Linebacker from Arizona State. This is Jack Jones's teammate that I was talking about earlier. Darian Butler was the highest ranked linebacker in zone pass coverage in the country last year. Oh, you just know that Antonio Pierce was just pounding the table. It's like, give me my guy. Like, this was literally Antonio Pierce's guy, and now he's the linebacker coach. It's like, I already know what he can do. Give me my guy. Yeah, if you if your team on defense plays zone, and I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what zone actually is and how you're supposed to play it. A lot of people still think spot drop. Like, nope. spot drop is dead. It's been dead for a long time. That is not zone. The point of zone is not to guard a piece of grass. The point of zone is to guard an area, and anybody that comes into it is yours. Uh, Darian Butler is extremely skilled at that. And there are a lot of linebackers that are not good at zone coverage. Um, he's not particularly great at man, but he's still fine. He needs to do some work against the run. It's not what he was asked to do the most at Arizona State. But when you have a guy that is 
high we're talking about was rated right up there with the top linebackers in the draft in zone pass coverage and you're getting him as a udfa you paid nothing for him no picks great pickup again can see him coming on rounding out his game with some pro coaches and becoming a player that contributes because look in the modern nfl linebackers play a lot of pass coverage and if you got one that is already good at that you can teach him up on the other things and then quinterio cole the safety from louisville hard hitter got to see him at the shrine bowl going to be more of a third safety special teams type but that's where you get him as udfa right you fill the roster with guys that can hit can run are talented or tough and quinterio basically checks all of those boxes so an incredibly successful udfa class for the raiders with a new first year gm feel like they probably filled several holes quote unquote for free i just find it so fascinating that there's so many safeties out there that are the same size of darian butler which is you know 510 215 220 that are really good in coverage and they'll go on day two of the draft and then you have a linebacker who's 510 215 220 really good in coverage and a udfa i i don't know man sometimes people just look at the the two letters in front of the name and they have these preconceived notions it's like can you cover or not like you see the division we're in we got to go up against <laughs> herbert and mahomes <laughs> and like can you cover or not and and he can cover so i yeah, i vaguely gesture at everything we need to go up against this <laughs> so yeah <laughs> great pickup for them honestly him and quinterio cole are built very similarly it's actually they just have a different position label, but they're they're pretty similar body types, I would say. Um, shout out to Bam, by the way. Really good dude. Really fun interview. I think <laughs> one of the funniest responses in the uh, the Shrine Bowl interview process, because we always ask, like, oh, who's the best player that you went against or who's the best player you had to block? And he just looked at us and he's like, Kayvon, twice in a row because <laughs> they did play two games against Oregon. I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's a rough day at the office. Like I makes get sense. That. I get that. Um, also sincere McCormick. I, this is at least this year, the running back rotation of Jacobs and Kenyon Drake and you know, Brandon Bolden's still there, but he's more of a special teams guy. You got Zamir, you got Britton Brown. I'm not a hundred percent sure if he makes the roster but I'm also not 100% sure that they can let him go through cuts without him getting poached. So I'm fascinated to see what happens with him because he's a really talented back. And I think that, you know, he probably chose the Raiders because theoretically there there is going to be an opportunity there and they're going to be a really good team. And obviously you want to play with a good quarterback and, you know, the no income tax probably helps too. But if if he doesn't, make the team and and he goes through waivers and everything like that i kind of feel like he might not last very long out there somebody's going to pick him up because he's a really really fun player but we'll see i mean again there's a lot of talented udfa backs out there so maybe he sneaks through the practice squad but i just don't find that to be super likely now final segment team floor team ceiling uh, we are probably going to sound like broken records because we're going to say the same thing for virtually every team in this entire division. They have the potential to be the number one seed. My ceiling is 13 wins, just like everybody else. They have an incredible roster, great quarterback. I know it's a new coaching staff, but again, they're not inexperienced. Patrick Graham is a great defensive coordinator. Josh McDaniels is a great 
offensive mind, and we assume that he learned a lot of lessons from his first stint as a head coach, and he's going to correct that, and things will be fine. There's really no reason for me to think that they're not going to have the same ceiling as everyone else in this division, especially because they already beat out half this division for a playoff spot last year when they had absolutely no right to. So if they can do it last year when that probably was their floor, all things considered. Like, how is that year not your floor with the Gruden thing and the Ruggs thing and the Arnett thing and the and the more and the more and the more and everything? It, it was a mess, and they still made the playoffs. So that's the floor. Are they going to hit the floor two years in a row? Probably not, especially not when they got better this year on the roster. So, yeah, 13's my ceiling. They're a playoff team to me. I'd be stunned if they don't make the playoffs. And I think that they have just as good of a chance as anyone else to meet Cincy or Buffalo or whoever in the AFC Championship this year. Hell, they have a pretty decent shot of hosting the AFC Championship this year, regardless of the division they play in, because they are that good. Yeah, I'm going to sound the same as well. My my ceiling is 12, and it's because of where they play and expecting them to get every every 50-50 shot, you know, every coin flip coming up in their favor. It's not always going to land on heads. There's just too much other talent to say, oh, yeah, we can, you know, reliably expect them to sweep any of their divisional opponents. You know, there's not even one of them where we can go, oh, they're they're likely going to take both games from X. I I wouldn't bet on that right now if you gave me free money. So I got to go with 12 as a ceiling again. That could very well lead the division, give them a shoe, and they could, they're probably not going to host at 12, but they're in the running down to the last few weeks of the season if that's the case. And eight to me is the floor, and that is the wheels falling completely off. The Josh McDaniels not meshing, and by all accounts, it sounds like he has learned those lessons. He is not trying to make Patriots West. He is making a modified version of what he wants, and I think that's a good thing. I think too many Patriots coaches try and leave New England and make the same thing somewhere else, and that's why a lot of them end up going back is it's a very hard thing to replicate. You're going to have to sort of – cut your own cloth and and make your own blueprint of what you really want to do. And it sounds like he's doing that. If for some reason that doesn't mesh with the team and they would have to suffer injuries, the floor would really be an injury to Derek Carr because they're not super deep behind him. I don't want to be seeing uh, any of their backup quarterbacks playing significant reps. If you have Carr in the lineup, I would much rather see him out there healthy. If he takes an early injury and he's going to miss a significant amount of time in this division, that's going to be tough to overcome, especially if the other teams stay healthy. So eight is my floor. 12 is my ceiling. Could they win the division? Yes. Same thing I've said for the other two teams. Same thing I'm going to say for the next team. This is the monster division in the NFL. They all have a great chance not only to beat their compatriots, but also to beat everybody else in the conference and possibly beat everybody else in the league. It's the Kaiju division, man. Yep. Just giant giant monsters fighting robots in the middle of Vegas. That's literally what it is. And I can't wait to watch can't it. Can't wait. <laughs> can't wait. It's must-see TV every single division game. Uh, now, we're going to round out the AFC West the rest of this week. We're talking about the Chiefs tomorrow, you know, potentially the chief rival no pun intended, of the Raiders this year. And then we're doing a full macro look at the division on Friday where we pick a winner of the AFC West. 
It's going to be real hard, but we're going to try. So uh, be back here tomorrow, same time, same place, talking Chiefs, and then talking macro AFC West looks on Friday. And until then, later. Take care.